0: Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast show number 25.
1: Big thing I noticed as a mom, the shift is before we were just hurrying to get out the door. And then when we got home, we were hurrying to get ready to go to whatever sport or activity or meeting or whatever we had after work. And then we're hurrying to get all the homework done and get baths done and get in bed and all of that stuff. And that's just not our reality anymore. I mean, that was a priority too. We were tired of that hustle and bustle. And the word busy, we just decided we didn't want to use the word busy anymore. And so this has really helped with that. The pace is as fast or as slow as we want it to be. And so that feels like freedom.
2: It's time for a new American dream. One that doesn't involve working in a cubicle for 40 years, barely scraping by. Whether you're looking to get your financial house in order, invest the money you already have, or discover new paths for wealth creation, you're in the right place.
3: This show is for anyone who has money or wants more. This is the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast.
0: How's it going, everybody? I'm Scott Trench. I'm here with my co-host, Miss Mindy Jensen. How are you doing today, Mindy?
2: Scott, I am doing really great today. I am having just a really awesome day. It's beautiful weather outside. I really like it when it's nice and sunny. We've had some rain lately, so it's been nice to to see the sun for a while. The temperature's heating up, so it's nice to be able to go to the pool with my girlies. How are you today?
0: i am doing fantastic i drove today but i've been biking the rest of the week so had a meeting across town but other than that things are going good i'm so excited that we finally have what i think is one of the best examples of how to approach financial freedom from starting in a position where you already have a family and maybe a lifestyle locked in and then make the shift to kind of aggressively pursuing financial independence we found our today's guests chris and debbie through our, one of our old podcasts. We sent out a call to you, the listeners, asking for folks that have a story about how they began approaching financial independence with a family and began making the hard shift towards that. And Chris and Debbie kind of embody a lot of really good qualities and in, in mindset shift. And then, of course, the production of incredible results after that mindset shift. So I'm very excited to hear from them today. and I think it's going to be one of the better shows that we've had.
2: Yes, I am so happy they reached out to us back on show 17. We asked for people who had families to come on and tell their story. And it has been a bit of a struggle to find the right family to talk to. I found a couple of families were going to have more of these interviews. So you can see that this is possible while having a family, already having a family. You discover this concept of financial independence. And, you know, a small tweak here, a small tweak there. You can really make huge strides towards your financial goals Chris and Debbie chose real estate as their investment. So that's that's another positive for the bigger pockets listeners in general.
0: Yep, and absolutely, and they and they've produced incredible results. They went from a they set their minds to it, they saved up a chunk of money, and they turned about sixty thousand dollars into a sixteen unit portfolio capable of supporting financial freedom in two and a half years. And they're gonna tell you exactly how they did that and how they
4: got to it in just a minute here.
2: supporting local economies, and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors. But if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Take control of your investments and secure a stable 8% annual return today. Visit pinefinancialgroup.com slash biggerpockets to learn more about the fund. That's pinefinancialgroup.com slash biggerpockets.
0: All right, Chris and Debbie, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. Thank you so much for coming on today. How's it going?
2: Good. Thanks for having us. We're excited.
3: It's going great, Scott and Mindy. Really excited to be here.
2: Uh, we awesome. are really excited to have you. So, Scott and I were recording a show a few weeks ago. And we asked for families to contact us that are pursuing financial independence. We heard a lot of people saying, hey, it's great that this single person or this couple was able to reach financial independence, but we'd like to hear from a family perspective. How did a family do it? Or what are they doing on their path? You know, how are they cutting out this expense or that thing? So we would like to hear about your story. This is how we found you. You heard our call. You sent me a note and I really, really like your story. So how did you get started on the personal finance journey, the financial independence trip that you're now on?
1: Well, you know, we are a couple of people that came together and chances of two people coming together that have the exact same mindset and habits with money are pretty unlikely. And so we are that normal story. We were completely opposite. Chris has always been sort of natural saver and wanting to save money and keep as much as he can. And I grew up with a whole other experience with money, some financial insecurity that made me feel a little powerless with money. And so I always set the bar low with money. I didn't aim high or think I could make a lot of money. I just thought I would get by. And so I graduated college with some student loan debt, about 24,000 in student loan debt, about 5,000 in credit card debt. I had a car, so I had a car payment. I was a single teacher. And so I was trying to pay rent and a car payment and start paying my student loans back and pay credit card debt. And it was really hard. And so that was maybe my first aha, that it was like, yeah, I, I don't need to earn a lot of money, but I need to earn enough to pay the bills. And then Chris and I got married and he was as far opposite of that as he could be, where it was like, save every penny that you can save. And so that's how our marriage really began. And we've slowly worked closer towards each other to where we're now, you know, at a good place where we, we've we had lots of budget conversations, lots of talk about priorities and what we value as as a couple and as a family and where we need to spend our money. And so anyway, to get a little farther ahead in the story, I had taught for a long time and we were always the kind of couple that was like you know, traditional, let's work really hard. We'll save our money. We'll retire on these good pensions and then we'll really live, live it up. We'll live our life. And so I, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease that caused some significant health problems. And so first we weren't really going towards financial freedom, but we, we looked at our budget and we thought we could make it work, reprioritize, and I can stay home with the kids and I don't need the added stress from my stressful job that was adding to the health problems. And from there, we just kept adding more and more freedom into our lives, which meant, you know, a lot of things like freedom with food. We were growing a garden and freedom with our kids education. We started homeschooling and eventually this topic of financial independence came up. So I don't know if you want to take over from there,
3: Chris, or. Sure. Yeah. And like Debbie was saying, you know, it saving always came natural to me. I was very close with my grandmother growing up and she was a a child of the great depression. So she taught me that, that kind of fear-based mindset of, look, you don't spend your money. You know, you, you keep it and you keep it because there's always that day where something bad could happen. So, so that part of me just came, it came naturally to me. Like I can remember back to Halloween as a kid, me and my two brothers, you know, we'd go out trick or treating, they'd come home and they, you know, by two days later, all their candy would be gone. And I would still have candy like seven or eight months later. I I always just thought, oh, I got to save for this rainy day. You know, never know when when a candy crisis might uh you know crop up and I I'm gonna need to have have all this candy and stuff like that. So
1: <laughs> never know. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. And then you know I go to college and I was on track to uh, be computer scientist, software engineer, and the main spur to that was I enjoyed computers and I knew it was gonna be a hot career and I could make a lot of money. And, you know, that's that's what I needed. Well, I graduated right around the time where the dot com burst happened and it was real tough to get a job. So then I was like, oh, then I kind of felt defeated by that. Like, oh, maybe I won't ever be able to get to a position where I can make the kind of money I had been promising myself and all that kind of stuff. And so then we moved to rural Colorado at that time and we both had, you know, modest job in our early twenties making, you know, she made around thirty thousand, I made around thirty thousand, you know, nothing, nothing crazy. at that time, we weren't really saving a lot, but we we easily could pay our bills and we were chipping away at student loan debt and got into a house. And we're always kind of used that extra money to pay down the mortgage. Cause that was, again, one of those philosophies of, of like, you just, debt was evil, you know, get rid of debt fast, fast, fast. And so, so we just got rid of all of our debt. And then, then we started to have the children and I got into technology. And so then my career, you know, started picking up, you know, I wasn't, I didn't go from 30,000 to a hundred thousand overnight, but you know, over 10, 12, 15 years, it started to get there. And, um, when Debbie did get that autoimmune disease and we had our second child and she's like, Chris, I'd really love to stay home. And again, I just had that fear-based mindset of like, look, if you just work another 15 years, your pension will pay you this much money. And if I work another 20 years, my pension and my 401k will be worth all this, you know? So it was just that limiting belief that money is this finite resource and we have to hoard it and collect it. And when we're 60 or 70, That's when we get to reap the rewards of that kind of thing. Well, in comes uh, that decision that, okay, Debbie does need to stay home. How can we do this? You know, how can we budget? How can we understand how much we spend? And so that's what we did. We started using a program called YNAB. You need a budget um, to just start tracking our money. Because at that time we were still saving, but it was like, as long as we saved, we were good. What year was this when this happened?
0: So we talked about a timeline of it sounds yeah, like maybe yeah. 10 years or so between graduation of college, getting married, all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. then this focal point of transitioning because of the diagnosis into a approach to fire. When, when was that?
1: It was about 2014, I think. I got sick and I worked for several years after. And then it's just makes it really real. It's a reality for everyone, you know, like I might not even be around to enjoy my retirement by the time I'm 60. So why wait till then? And so that reality, whether you have an autoimmune disease or not, it's like, why wait for life until someone tells you, yeah, now you can retire. Now you can get all this money that you've been saving all this time. So that was 2014 when I actually quit you know, being a teacher, we had that conversation about a year beforehand because of contracts and all of that stuff. So.
0: That's great. So, so as soon as you decided this, what was your position at that point and what did you change in order to make this work? What were the kind of lifestyle and adjustments you guys had to make in order to kind of realize your, your objectives
3: here? Right. I think the the first thing was, we didn't really have any aspirations of let's find additional ways to make more money it was more of let's find ways to cut so that we can take this much money that i earned from my w-2 job and pay all the necessary things and still at this time so we're we're pre real estate investing or pre you know anything other than funding 401ks and iras with that that long-term mindset so the, the position we took then was okay, let me whip out some spreadsheets, let's try this YNAB thing and let's start tracking our spending to see what a normal month-to-month looks like. We were kind of used to the tracking concept because again, with Deb's disease, we got real mindful about what we were putting in our bodies so we started tracking better what, what we're eating. Like, are we eating out this much or what, what kind of food are we eating and all that kind of stuff? So the budgeting part was just kind of similar to that. It was like, hey, just make tiny bits of time every day and let's let's keep track of what it did. So we found out our number. Here's our number that we're spending now. You know, I kind of played with the numbers a little bit, added here, took away here. And it was like, okay, yeah, this is actually doable, uh, surprisingly enough. And lo and behold, we can still pay down our mortgage. We can still save for the IRA. We can still put in my 401k, you know, a healthy amount and all that kind of stuff. And so then it was just that, that was that, that aha moment of, whoa, you know, because 2014 might've been when Debbie stopped working. But in 2005, when our first daughter was born, she was like hinting like, Hey, Chris, you know, it'd kind of be nice if I could stay home with our, you know, this, this new baby we just had for a couple of years. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's sweet. Now, could you please uh, go back to work and let's, let's earn some more money, you know? So.
1: Well, let me just say a couple of things here because Chris really acts like that was when we started budgeting, but he is like a spreadsheet master and really budgeted, but <laughs> it was more like him looking over i mean we we use credit cards wisely we always pay them off but we use them for points so he's always done that kind of thing and so each month he would sit down and analyze the credit card bill and be like, what was this? Why did you spend money on this? What's this? Or look at the bank statement. And so that it really wasn't with, beyond the scope we had, you know, budgeted before. It was just that this was the most we had ever budgeted. Every penny out, every penny in. And over time, he kept getting raises and really in a teaching position, I never got raises, but we had really increased our income quite a bit. And when we increased our income, we would really never increase our spending. So we always lived off of what we made when we first got married for the most part. But right before I quit teaching, we kind of got real lax. And that was, we were making quite a bit of money and we weren't paying so much attention to what we were spending. And so that's when we we went with now. But I remember early in our marriage, a conversation that Chris and I had where he was like, wouldn't it be fun this month to just like live off the pantry food and try to spend only a hundred dollars on groceries? And I was like, no, that doesn't even sound fun at all. You know? So he's always been, he's always been pretty good with that. It was just that we started budgeting every single cent and finding, oh, it, it actually would work just fine. We, we wouldn't have to do that much to make sure I could stay home. So
2: I'm married to Chris too. (laughs)
4: <laughs> it's
2: like so every fun. single thing you're telling me I'm like yep that's my husband that's my husband that's my husband that's my husband I think that sounds
3: like great fun yeah it
2: yeah, a heck of
3: oh. lot of yeah. tell about the you time know, when I, I went to the the electric box and turned off all the breakers too and it's like let's see what a day without electricity is like
2: oh, <laughs> oh no <laughs>
3: don't you work with weird, computers no, yeah.
2: <laughs> lots of candles
3: and board games
2: yeah, yeah don't you work with computers how do you do computers with no no electricity
3: it was on a weekend. So.
2: Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, my husband would never turn off all the electricity because then he couldn't oh. get to his stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so in that in that aspect, you're different. But okay, so one thing <laughs> different than my husband. There we go. So you hit on a bunch of points, but some of these that I really, really like is why wait for life? And hmm. uh, and then Chris said, we tracked our spending and figured out that this really is possible. And that's that's something that I don't think People who are not in this mindset really even understand that this is possible. It's not that hard. I mean, yes, if you're making $10,000 a year, it's going to be a little bit harder than if you're making $100,000 a year, but this is absolutely possible. And why wait for life? Why wait until you're 60 to enjoy your retirement when you can do it by making these small tweaks into your lifestyle and into your spending right now? Have a let's shop out of the pantry month. See how many things you can eat out of the pantry. I have way too much food. I'm a bit of a hoarder and I'm trying to get over my stuff, but I hoard food and I've never been food insecure. So I don't even know why I do it. I get it's, I need help. But so I'm trying to get rid of everything in my pantry. And that's like in the next couple of months, that's all we're doing is going to the pantry and eating everything in the pantry.
1: I I completely agree. I think if anyone proves it, it's your bigger pockets money show because I was doing my homework to be on the show. And we've always listened to bigger pockets, like getting into real estate and everything. And now, and now your show coming along and it's like your show proves that you can do it on $20,000 a year. Those people become financially independent in just a matter of a few years. So to me, it's a feeling of powerlessness or, or not with money where it's like, yeah, if if you want to do it, you can I've, I haven't ever heard of anyone yet on your show that made ten thousand a year and became financially independent. But I did hear, you know, a guy that made twenty thousand a year and kept working towards financial independence. So
2: yeah, you can do it. I'm sorry, Scott, go ahead.
0: Well, what I was going to ask is what was your spending prior to you leaving teaching, and what that's changed to after you kind of implemented these things and began tracking every penny?
3: yeah. so it it really was. I would say for me, it was a lot of eating out, but not like, you know, I'm not going to a $50, hundred dollars dinners. It was just, I'm going to grab a subway sandwich, you know, on the way into work in the morning, I'm going to grab a salad for lunch. Then maybe twice, three times a week we'd do that. I think that was really the only thing that I felt like, Hmm, we're giving up on that. And then consequently, Debbie's just an amazing cook now. So it's like, <laughs> uh, it's awesome for me because every morning, you know, Ah, uh, we have breakfast as a family, and every night we have dinner as a family. And I usually take liftovers to work or whatever. So it's like that's really the only sacrifice that I feel like was made.
2: And did that change your life to stop going to Subway in the morning and to stop grabbing a salad for lunch? Like, do you feel deprived? No. No.
3: Yeah, I feel. It's so, so much, much
2: better. better.
3: Yeah.
1: That was a conscious choice and a conscious effort on our part because of health, because we started sort of taking control of food and trying to grow as much of our own food as we can, which is another step toward freedom in our mind. And eating out just wasn't healthy, but because we both worked, there was just only a certain amount that we could do. And now that I was able to stay home, yeah, we could really focus on that, but we didn't feel
2: deprived or like we had to sacrifice at all. Because yep. It's not that hard. You've said yeah. conscious several times. This was a conscious decision. We consciously looked at our spending. We consciously made a budget. This whole journey is a conscious decision, but it's not like this overwhelming, like, all I can think about is money and, oh, I can't right, spend right. that penny. And, you know, I think that's really important for people to understand is, you know, I say this all the time, personal finance is personal. And what means a lot to you? You said in your email to us that you really like to go skiing, Mm-hmm. Awesome. I do too. Let's go. But, um, and right, Scott, yeah. Scott, you can come with us. Yeah, let's do it. I but do love skiing. That's an expensive sport. Mm-hmm. You're not eating out. You're not doing all these other things. You're choosing to spend money on skiing that other people may not do. So you choose what you want to spend money on. You spend money on things that are important so you can save money on things that don't matter.
3: That's really like, that's what helped with kind of breaking it out. Other than just before, when we, uh, before Deb left her job, We just saved off the top and then spent the rest. And we weren't very intentional about that. And then all of a sudden when we decided, okay, hey, how much do we want to put in category A, B, and C and all that kind of stuff? That's when that intentionality started to come in. And we're like, hey, we don't want to skimp on ski. Like there is a line item in our budget that's just for skiing stuff. There's a line item in our budget for travel. There's a line item in our budget for investing. You know, Now uh, at that time it was savings, but now it's, it's for saving. And it's like, we just prioritize those buckets get filled every month first. And when there's leftover there, that's when we kind of start saying like, oh, okay, maybe I want to get this neat thing off of Amazon or whatever, you know, and if there's not money extra left over in there, then that's easy to to skip. So
1: it's a prioritizing. So there is not a big line item in our budget for clothes. It's very small. We don't buy a lot of clothes, so that's a small priority, but there is a big item in our budget for travel. So we save for that. And that is a priority. And that's kind of how our budget works, you know, like talk about what's important, figure it out, and then we budget towards it.
0: Awesome. So when you were doing this, you decreased your spending primarily, it just sounds like by tracking it and not allowing anything to leak out. And then also with this primary change of how you eat is the major lifestyle change that you noticed as an outcome of this. Is that a good summary of, of that change? Yep. What happened... To what I find is interesting is that when people begin doing this and years go by, career growth seems to follow in a weird
3: way. Did you find that that happened as well for you in terms of opportunity in your career? Yeah, I did. It was, it was kind of weird. Like, I mean, before when it was Debbie and I both working, like I was very obsessed about you know, how much money I was making. And I always kind of felt like, okay, what's that next thing that I can do to, to increase my value at my job? And how can I make more money and all that? And so I just really focused on it and it just felt like it was always consuming me and I never felt like I was, you know, getting paid enough or whatever. And then just starting to come to that realization. And so maybe this is what you're asking, maybe it's not, (laughs) but coming to that realization of like, look, this is decent enough. Like I, I'm happy with this. It can pay for all the things I want. And then all of a sudden it's like, Whoa, here comes this extra money. Now that I stopped focusing on it, as far as like, It was eating away at me, you know, all the time. And I was just like come home and complain to Deb, like, ah, I can't believe I'm not making da-da-da-da. Then it started just just to come in. And then it was it was like we didn't even spend it though. It's not like we upgraded our life. All we did was, okay, that that top line item for saving investing just got bigger every raise I got. Everything else pretty much stayed the same, you know, and everything. And that's that's how it's been for for several, several years now.
1: But you know, our ideas about earning money changed a lot too, because we started realizing that all this money we had been piling away in the bank was making zero you know it was just sitting there and so we had worked so hard to save all of this money and it was there but we could only live off that money for so long and so we started looking for ways that that money could earn us money the more we started investing and the more well actually Chris is the spreadsheet master so we sat down with a spreadsheet and looked at what we could really do with that money with real estate. And it was like, oh my, you know, I earned probably take home, you know, less than $30,000 a year as a teacher. And I worked and worked really hard for that money every year. And with real estate, we were able to, you know, make that double that money in about two years that we'll make for the rest of our lives. And we can pass that money on to our girls. And we made that money ourselves from our own money. And we don't need a W-2 for it. We don't need a boss for it.
0: So you stockpile this money that through your frugal habits and through your, your savings here, how much money are we talking about? And can you walk us through step-by-step how you began making the decision to invest it and then where you invested it and what those first, maybe those first few steps look like? So how much did
3: you, how much are you talking about here? 10,000 or a hundred thousand or a million or? (laughs) I think we were right around 60,000 when, so it's like we had 60,000, Well, that's not,
1: I'm sorry, but I'm going to interrupt you now. (laughs) go for it. (laughs) We had saved $90,000. But when we decided to invest, we took 30 right off the top and said, we're going to keep this in savings. And we could live off of this for a very long time if we needed to, if Chris lost his job too, because I was without a job at the time. So we left 30 of it as our safety net. And then we took 60. And that's what we felt comfortable with with our risk tolerance at the time and we felt comfortable investing that
2: much. So. Okay. And where did you put that 60,000?
3: I really wanted to put it into self storage sheds, you know, because I, I was like, I have, I heard all these horror stories of like, Oh, if you get into real estate, you're going to be fixing toilets at two in the morning. You're going to do all this kind of stuff. I, like, oh, I don't want to deal with tenants, you know, in that regard, I just want, I want to buy a lot of storage sheds. And that seems like a good thing. Well, I couldn't find any storage sheds. So then, So then I start Googling and bigger pockets just came up over and over. And I start hearing these success stories of people in a similar situation and they're able to do it. And I'm like, whoa, you know, that just really opened my mind. Like, you know, I don't have to be fixing toilets at two in the morning. I don't have to be, you know, doing that all the time. You know, we can build a team around us and everything. So that's where it started going. I honestly didn't know the real estate market around me. We bought our house, uh, 12 or 13 years ago. And I haven't, paid attention. So I had no clue that investing locally was even possible. So we started looking into Turnkey in Memphis. And I was like, it just seemed to come up over and over and over again. I was like, oh, that's the perfect thing. I don't have to look for the property. I don't have to get a tenant. You know, that's all taken care of for me. So we were going down that road. And then just through happenstance, we started talking to folks around us and they're like, oh, so-and-so does real estate around here. So we started talking to some landlords around here. I was like, wow, you can do Really good, you know, here in, in little rural Southeast Colorado. So we're at 16 properties now in, in about two and a half years. And that's a mixture of five out in Memphis that are turnkey and then uh, the rest, you know, here in, in small little rural Colorado can
0: you walk us through your very first purchase? So, I mean, that's the scary one, right? That's the one that that really is the big hump for people to get over is you have the 60K, you don't want to lose it, right? You're very right. This is something that you've worked probably for for years. Well, how do you go about actually the process of buying that very first property and what, what did that look like?
1: We did a lot of background work. So Chris is not traditionally a risk taker. That's why we had saved so much money. That was not risky. And so we just like consumed bigger pockets podcasts. We read book after book after book and we felt like, yeah, we're as prepared as we can be. And then a realtor just helped us stumble upon this property that was actually two separate single family homes, but in one purchase because they were on the same deed. And so we ran the numbers on it. It was it was good. I think we got it for thirty seven thousand for both homes, right? We put yep. about fifteen thousand rehab into them total, and we were able to rent them both together for about one thousand fifty dollars a month. That wasn't cash flow. We decided to leverage. So after all of our research, we didn't pay cash for the property. We leveraged. And so our cash flow on that property isn't over a thousand dollars a month, but it was a thirty thousand dollar investment for a thousand fifty in rent. I don't know if I missed something there, Chris.
4: No, Where that's is home-
1: this
2: at? We're <laughs> 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 yeah, in right. a very small town in <laughs> southeastern Colorado. Oh, so this is in Colorado. This one isn't in Memphis. It yeah. is. No, a, no, no. A thirty-seven thousand dollar house in Memphis isn't unusual. Correct. Right. right. So, so thirty-seven thousand for the two houses and. $15,000 in rehab. So did somebody do math quickly? $52,000, $52, thank you. All ready to go. And yeah. that's like the 2% rule. The 1% 2%. rule yeah. is you rent out the property for 1% of the purchase price. And this right. is 2% almost. Wow. Yeah.
3: Yeah, we, we hit anywhere from one and three quarter to two on our first three or four deals around here. And so this is about 2016 or so. We can't get that now. We can still beat the 1% rule fairly easy. Uh, it's, it's almost like, you know, when when I look at a 1% deal, it's like, eh, no, no thanks. You know, I'm going to go find you know, something <laughs> that'll get me a little bit better than that. But, uh, but yeah, so there, there's good deals. But the, the, the problem down here is, you know, there's not a huge network. Like we do manage those properties ourselves and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a little bit extra work you know, but, um, but that's what we found is we enjoy it and we're learning all the time, you know, Brandon Turner's book, uh, how to manage real estate, uh, how to yeah manage your real estate property <laughs> has been a huge, uh, huge help, um, in getting us some of that confidence and, and dealing with, you know, the tenant issues. But overall, what we found is like, and I found this in business and in life and other places, it's like, if you treat people with that respect and that and you just have that mindset of like, hey, they're not out here to screw me over and and I'm here to provide you a service, you're here to pay, you know, rent and and we have this mutual exchange. So far, so good. You know, we've had a pretty good run of it with not perfect tenants, but everything's been pretty good. So how much how
0: much cash did you put into the deal? It's I know it was fifty-two thousand dollars was the total amount of the purchase price plus rehab. How much cash went in? And then what did you do with the rest of your remaining cash?
1: So the homes we get locally, we get through a small bank, local, like hometown bank, and those are commercial loans. And we put 20 to 25% down on those loans. And then all the rehab costs are in cash. So usually when we close on a, on a local property, the closing costs are a lot cheaper and everything. And so, yeah, I think that one was about 7500 by the time we closed on those homes. Do you remember, Chris?
3: You're saying like down payment and, and the yeah. bank costs. Yeah. Yeah. What we it owed was... the
1: bank and then all the rehab we used our cash for.
3: Yeah, we took that from about sixty thousand down to and I think we spent about twenty out of pocket for that one. So we still had 40 left when we were done and with that first deal.
1: Once we started cash flowing, we never lived off we have never lived off of any of the cash flow. We take all the cash flow plus what we're saving from Chris's salary every month and we just put that right back into real estate. So, we used that then. We still had some cash left and we were just actively looking for homes here and we were investing in Memphis homes at the same time. And so, each time we've started to get cash flow from a property, we've just increased the amount we can save to put right back into real estate. So, I don't think I fully answered your question. I'm not yeah. sure
0: so I think I, I very much understand the concept. I, what I would love to hear is maybe like, what was the second purchase? You know, so you had okay. $40,000. I assume that this is continuing to go up a little bit because you're cash flowing from the property and continuing to save from your job. What was maybe the second purchase there? Okay. And then, yeah, it sounds like you went off to the races after that, just kind of consistently operating this very simple yet foolproof system that's allowed you uh-huh. to scale to where you are today.
1: Right. So our second property was. I mean, like if we could have won a lottery ticket, I think that's as close to a lottery ticket as we've ever got. It was, again, less than $40,000. I think we paid thirty six for that one. I mean, again, we live in a small town. Rentals here, they don't have dishwashers or air conditioners. Those aren't typical things that are provided. So it's a small, humble home, but it was in great shape. And I shampooed carpets and then I rented it to someone right away. So I paid thirty six thousand. There were no real rehab costs for that one, and we found a tenant for it and moved him in right away. And that was our second. So I think we got a little lucky with that one, and that felt really good, you know. And we just kept moving from there.
0: Awesome. How much did that one rent for?
1: That one rents
2: for five eighty five. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's great. Wow.
2: I'm so jealous. So (laughs) you said you can't find these deals like this anymore. Are you continuing to look in Memphis or are you continuing to look locally? And where are you finding these deals? Is it an agent? Are they on the MLS? Are they off market?
3: Uh, Yeah, everything actually has been on the market. We've gone through a couple different agents here locally, but we have one now. He's not like, you know, calling us every week saying like, hey, here's the next deal. You know, it meets these criteria or whatever. But at the same time, he does bring us some that before they hit the market. Like I think this would be a good one. Debbie actually our third home. It was on the market. We it was one of those where I definitely you know we were getting two percent deals, but we still felt like oh we still got to lowball this offer. You know two percent's not good enough. Let's lowball a little bit more. Let's see how good of a deal we can get. So the third one we actually missed out on, but they were unable to close, and so he gave us a call right away since we were kind of second in line. He's like, is your offer still good? And. And we got that one. And I think that was a a three bed house in the thirties again, and it rents for like seven or something like that. So anyways. uh,
1: Each time we've like upped our skills a little bit, we've put a little more rehab into each one, made them a little bit nicer just as we've honed our skills. But the, the, There's a push that we're feeling from your area up in Denver and Colorado Springs of people trying to also find freedom. So they're coming away from those places where real estate is really climbing and they're finding their way down here. And there are other real estate investors down here too. And all of that has meant that the supply of housing is a little bit lower than it was when we first started. And so we just have to hunt for those deals. I think they're still out there, and I think a lot of people still shy away from from the sweat equity that you put into a house. And so as long as we don't scare easily away from those things, I think we can still find the deals and and go. I mean, the last deal we got was at the end of last year. We haven't got another one since then. Well, well we got two Memphises in between, so that's why we haven't got a local one. But we got one locally at the end of last year. And it was a great deal. It was like four properties in one. So they're still out there. I mean, I kind of live by this mantra that you find what you're looking for. So if we want to find a good agent, that's up to us. We can look for the right kind of person and we're happy with him. And he's a good, you know, honest guy that helps us find what we're looking for too, so.
2: I like that quote a lot. You find what you're (laughs) looking for. Nobody's going to call you up and say, hey, are you looking for a real estate agent? Because I am a real estate agent. I'm right. super awesome. If they're <laughs> super awesome, they've got all the business. They don't need to go out and look for more. They'll take more, but they don't need to go out and look for more. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you're the one who wants to make money with real estate. So go find the deals, go find the real estate agent, you know, learn your market and, and you have to do the work because it's like finding a job. Nobody is going to call right. you up. Companies, <laughs> uh-huh. Bigger Pockets is currently hiring. Go to biggerpockets.com slash jobs to see the jobs that we're hiring for. We're not calling anybody up on the phone randomly. Hey, are you looking for a job? Right. Do you do this? So that's awesome. You find what you're looking for. I'm <laughs> writing that down.
0: <laughs> and what I think is great about the story is, I mean, you you just walked us through your first three deals and it's not hard to, I guess, you know, let me know if there's anything I, that we or the listeners should know about the rest of the journey, but it, it's not hard to imagine that you just kind of operated the system and scaled up in your town and then bought a few that were kind of similar in Memphis to get to where you are today, which I think is
3: 16 properties. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And and how much cash are you producing from this portfolio?
3: So after all, uh, you know, taken out for vacancy and and maintenance and all that kind of stuff, um, we're right around thirty five thirty six hundred. So they only they only average about two hundred to. Two fifty per property of, of cash flow, and some of those early ones actually are quite a bit more than that. But some of the later ones, mortgage rates, you know, climbing up just a little bit here, and the prices of housing getting a little bit higher, and all that kind of stuff. So that that margin is is shrinking a little bit. But um, He's yeah, being some, a
1: little modest because he like runs those figures every <laughs> week, I think. And just last week he brought me a graph that was showing exactly how it was climbing and where we would be next year. So he knows he probably knows to the cent how much but <laughs>
0: <laughs> no that that's incredible so you took what i'm summarizing here from the, from the story is you went along you you behaved reasonably for your finances and then a trigger happened a trigger event happened with your diagnosis and that's when you decided hey we're going to get really aggressive about this and makes some changes save up $90,000 set aside 30 as a safety fund, which is really smart. I think it really gives you a cushion and allows you to be, you know, very comfortable with the risk that you're taking on in this brand new career of real estate that you're kind of doing on the side here. And then you turn $60,000 in two years yeah. into three and a half thousand dollars per month with a family. And I mean, wow,
1: that's, yeah. that's <laughs> awesome. I think we're just as surprised. We I mean, we set goals in the beginning, we made projections, we were hoping, you know, that we could make even loftier goals, but yeah, we've been, we've been really pleased with how it's turned out. So, so yeah. Why can't I, other
0: people do this?
3: <laughs> I, I mean, it was one of those where it's, it's crazy, you know, so like, you know, I was the saver and everything, but I don't, I don't know if I would have been able to get over my risk aversion, you know, without some push and, and Debbie's illness was that push. You know, it, it got me to at least start opening books and reading blogs and, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think if they're listening to this podcast right now, you know, that's and hearing this story and other stories, you know, that might be that that push that they need. But but yeah, it's it's absolutely possible. And it's just I'm very thankful for for folks like you and, you know, the other great blogs that are out there that just take this this crazy idea, you know, of of like, whoa, you can you can find other ways, you know, whether it's through investing in mutual funds or investing in real estate or or starting your own business and all that kind of stuff. You can find those other ways to pay the bills, you know, and, and allow you that, that freedom in life to do the things that are important to you.
1: I think the real message though is they can do it. They just have to sort of wrap their minds around it and prioritize what really is important in their life. So, I mean, would they rather have a fancy car that they make a monthly payment on or would they rather work towards this? And so if we can do it, they can do it too. It's just a matter of taking a look at priorities and deciding what they want to do. So
0: when it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet.
2: Scott's right
0: Help you make it happen with a killer travel card.
2: Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com.
0: NerdWallet, finance smarter.
2: As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. You're trying to save, trying to invest, but your bank account is stuck. How about we get rid of some of those unused subscriptions you forgot about? Trust me, with Rocket Money, it's easy. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Take control over your subscriptions and cancel your unused ones with just a few taps. Create a custom budget, view spending habits, and let Rocket Money negotiate to lower your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com bpmoney. That's rocketmoney.com bpmoney rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's monarchmone com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. Okay, so Chris said that he has to get over his risk aversion What's the worst thing that can happen? Like mm. you buy a $30,000 property. The worst thing that can happen is that it gets wiped away and you don't have insurance or whatever, like it's not worth it goes from $30,000 to $0 in value. So you yeah. lost $30,000. That's literally the worst thing that can happen when you're buying a $30,000 house. It's not going to come shoot you. It's not going right. to, <laughs> you know, take away your home and your, you know, so buy it intelligently. But when you're trying to get over your risk aversion, think about what is the worst thing that can happen. Yeah, Joel yeah. from FI 180, who <laughs> I believe was on episode, I don't know what episode he was. I'll put mm-hmm. it in the show notes. The show notes for this show is biggerpockets.com slash money show 25. That's money show two five. And he said, well, I don't really have enough money to retire, but what's the worst that can happen? I'll just go get a job. My worst case scenario is everybody else's everyday life.
3: Exactly, yeah.
2: Right. I quote that all the time. That is so powerful. People get this like, oh, what if, what if? What if? Yeah. What if? I think, yeah, it's
1: so important to actually go there because even if I go farther down the road and I think like, what if? We just start over. I mean, that really is the worst what if. We both have very marketable skills. We can both get a job whenever we want to get a job. And we just start over and now we know how to do it again. And so once you realize like the worst that can happen, really, it's no big deal. So now it's all just a game. Yeah, it's
2: not that bad. But Scott, you asked, why doesn't everybody else do this? Well, because you can't invest in rural areas. There's no deals on the marketplace. (laughs) You can't find a good contractor. Let's see. What else? What else? You only can find... Yeah, there's no time. There's no money. Especially
4: with kids. Yeah, Yeah. you can't do
2: it with kids. I mean, I think they're just lying. (laughs) Everything in this story is just a big fat lie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Well, they just made it all up. Yeah.
1: (laughs) You know, we've never shied away from hard work. So we've always believed we value hard work. And so that's something that we've done. But I don't think there's any special magic or anything like that here at all.
4: Yeah.
2: Yeah. You find what you look for.
1: You if find you're looking, what you're looking
2: for. If you're you looking for the TV listings or you're looking for the game, that's what you're going to find. If you, well, when look- you When you're
1: complaining a lot, what you find other complainers. So that's what you find. So if you're saying there's no contractors, there's no good deals, then what you're going to find is more people complaining about the same thing. So same what, thing. Yeah, it's all really, I think it's so important in life, but really in real estate, mindset is the thing that, I mean, it could drive you nuts and you could get out of it right away, or you can work on your mindset and keep reminding yourself of the reasons you're there and what your goals are. And yeah, it can be, you know, a blessing for, for your lifetime. So. All
0: right, let me ask a question here. So you, you've done all this. You've had a lot of progress since you've left your job. Are you noticing a household improvement in quality of life? Has this financial result you've been, you've achieved resulted in a better lifestyle and family and family dynamic?
3: Yes, yeah, so absolutely. So one thing that I read uh, not too long ago that was pretty startling was, so taking just an average snapshot of an average family, by the time your, your child leaves the house at 18, as a parent, you will have spent 93% of all the time you will ever spend with them at that point. So it's like, whoa, between 18 and till I die, there's only 7% left. So that's, I mean, that was kind of that spur that really started getting me thinking like, hey, Deb, is there homeschool. Could we do that? you know, what's that look like? That'll buy us more freedom and more abilities to say like, Oh, everybody else is in school. Let's go take our family vacation right now. Let's take school with us. Let's go on a week long ski trip. Let's go to Ecuador for three weeks and all that kind of stuff. So absolutely Deb being home and me having a decent amount of vacation time has allowed us to really improve our life in that regard. Like I feel, you know, there's definitely times, you know, when I'm working from home, Debbie's teaching our two daughters and all that kind of stuff. There can be times where it's like, okay, let's, let's spread apart from each other for a little bit here. <laughs> but overall though, it's it's just so nice having that freedom to be able to spend that quality time. And, and as I mentioned before, the food part is, is amazing. Like Deb's an amazing cook now. So I just, <laughs> I feel like I'm eating at nice restaurants almost every night. So it's
1: awesome. (laughs) He's exaggerating. But the big thing I noticed as a mom, the shift is before we were just hurrying to get out the door. And then when we got home, we were hurrying to get ready to go to whatever sport or activity or meeting or whatever we had after work. And then we're hurrying to get all the homework done and get baths done and get in bed and all of that stuff. And that's just not our reality anymore. I mean, that was a priority too. We were tired of that hustle and bustle. And the word busy, we just decided we didn't want to use the word busy anymore. And so this has really helped with that. It's, the pace is as fast or as slow as we want it to be. And so that feels like freedom. Nice.
0: I love it. This is, this is so fantastic. Just what you've, what you've created here, how you've done it. And it's so good that you're reaping some of the rewards of that right now. Yeah. So what's, what's the next step? What are you going to do? What do you, What is your kind of goal for the next few years?
3: What's the end point, I guess, for you? Yeah. So I'm, it's, it's one of those. And I think this is part of the reason, too, why I never was really ready to get over that risk aversion hurdle and, and make a jump into something. I've, I actually really enjoy my job. You know, I'm, I'm in a leadership position and I love the people that I can mentor and, and help and coach and everything. And so it's great for me. But at the same time, I just want to keep lots of opportunities open. So I I, I feel a calling in, in several areas. I don't have a real specific, like, by this time, I'm going to do this for sure thing. But I'm really looking forward to, you know, starting something either on my own or partnering up with someone and doing some kind of other entrepreneurial type thing. As Debbie mentioned, I'm really into gardening. So I'm like, oh, maybe I could build some greenhouses and we'll we'll sell produce. We'll be little, you know, mini farmers, you know, and and that won't be enough to pay for all the other stuff. But that's what the real estate's for.
1: So we're close. We're really close to just being able to live off of our cash flow now. And we could actually probably do it right now but we're working on sort of wrapping our head around the whole healthcare side of things. And I think Chris has this sort of two-year plan to maybe wind things up with his leadership role and and look towards the future and be able to, I mean, none of us, neither of us say like, we never want to work again, but we want freedom to work at what we want to work at. And so this I think we could actually live. Off. We, I know we could live off the cash flow now, but it would be a question of prioritizing and figuring out the the healthcare side of things, which can be expensive. And so that's kind of where we're at.
0: Debbie, early in the show, you mentioned and you made a, a nice motion here for a graph going up <laughs> and to the right. Uh, Chris, do you do you know what kind of your target is over the next two years for a cash flow projection if you continue on your, you know, plan trajectory?
3: Yeah. So I've, I've actually got like several little targets. So it's like, here's, here's target one. And this means, you know, we're, we can pay the bills and we're not driving around. We're not doing all this kind of stuff. Then target two. It, yeah. So anyways, I do have all of those targets and we, we've hit like the first two, three and four mean targets, three and four mean in, in those two years, we will hit those numbers to where we can both still keep investing a decent amount Uh, every month. And whether that's in Deb starting a new business, me starting a new business, some other kind of whatever. And I still actually find a lot of enjoyment out of real estate. So that's, that's a potential too. So yeah. And in about two years, we'll have not only enough to pay the bills, but still keep investing at the same similar clip that we're doing today, as well as having a, a healthy travel bullet budget to allow us to go see more of the world that we'd like to see.
2: So do you have a goal for how many more units you want to acquire?
3: Yeah, that, that number kind of changes. At first, I knew exactly what that number was as far as the units. And then then I did a recalculation. It was like, oh, these are actually producing, you know, 30, 40% more cash flow than I thought. So actually, we need less units. Well, now that the market's kind of caught back up, it's like, okay, now we need to get back to that original number. So. I think another five to 10 units will get us somewhere right in those in between those three and four marks of where we're still able to invest in, in either ourselves or other businesses or whatever. I'm still trying to, you know, that that's one thing that I, I guess I did want to talk about is just our, what we do differently than I feel like a lot of folks is just the the money conversations that we have with our children. And so we expose them to a lot of the business. You know, we explain Like my daughter, my 12 year old daughter could come in here and she can tell you what equity is and she can tell you how a mortgage works and she can tell you how cash flow works and all that kind of stuff. And they get to help. Like uh, she just learned today, I came home from work and uh, Debbie's uh, working with her on some bookkeeping stuff for the business and everything. So, so that way it's, it's kind of a nice, healthy way to one, pay her some money so that she can earn a decent little chunk of money and she can use that money to learn money mistakes at the age of twelve and the age of thirteen. And and it's awesome. I mean the, the benefit there is, you know, uh I think this was in cash flow quadrant where it kinda teaches you, you know, where how it goes when it's pre tax money. So it's like, okay, she needs to spend two hundred dollars to be on the swim club this summer. So She earns $200 through our real estate business. We never pay tax on that. She now takes that money. She's not paying tax on it because she's, you know, only 12 where she has to pay income tax. And now she just paid a $200 swim club team fee and nobody ever paid tax on that. Whereas if, if that money comes to Chris in his W2 and then Chris pays that, well, to pay $200, you know, I'm going to have to earn $240, $250 or whatever. And so it's just taking those little examples here and there and trying to teach the girls uh, along the way, what money is, it's nothing to be scared of. Like I grew up with that big fear mentality of like hoard it, hoard it, hoard it. Cause you never know when it's going to go away type of thing. So it's kind of like, I, I think Deb and I both draw an analogy. It's like a breath, you know, it's like you take a breath in, you take a breath out. That's how money flows in and out of your life. If you want to hold your breath, you know, you can do that for a few seconds, but, but there's no real benefit to that. It'll always be there when you need it. You just need to have the right mindset. You need to have the right wherewithal to go get it. I love it. And, and of course you
0: get a uh, bookkeeping service for your business.
3: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> yeah. I was like overwhelmed with all of this filing today. And, and I was like, yeah, Claire can help. And we pay them an equitable wage. So, I mean, our eight-year-old makes $5 an hour for the work she does. And our almost 13 year old, makes $10 an hour. So it's good for her if she works hard and she wants to make it. And we would have paid that swimming due anyway, (laughs) but we don't (laughs) tell her that, you know? So she's earning the money and now she's learning how to spend it, which was an experience I never had growing up, which is why I felt this powerlessness with money. And so hopefully we're empowering them to be able to take care of their money, to learn, you know, how to spend, how to save, how to give. And also, yeah, to not be afraid or feel feel powerless or feel like they have to over-control it and hoard it. So
3: Yeah. They they come to us now with like little lessons here and there of like, oh man, I I must've spent 10 or $15, you know, this month riding around town, you know, going to Sonic and getting a drink here and there. So it's like, yeah, learn these mistakes when you're when you're 12 and making $15 mistakes rather than when you're 21 making $15,000 mistakes and all that kind of stuff. So.
2: Yeah. Look well, at it's, this new car I
3: bought. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> it sounds like you had, you never made a big money mistake where you took on something that you couldn't handle prior to that, you know, over this, but it sounds like for many years, you didn't have this, that same kind of healthy in control or mindset and relationship with money. Within two years, you're literally uh-huh. changing your whole mindset, your whole position. And now you're passing that along to your children. And it's just, I, I think it's fantastic. And an example that hopefully some of the listeners here can learn a lot from, because I think it's, I think it really is incredible.
2: We hope so. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned cash flow quadrant. I want to just uh, expand on that a little bit. Can you share with uh, the listeners what that is?
1: So we prepared for our, like the, I think it's Famous Four at the end, right? Did I get that right? Yeah. And that was mine for the Famous Four. It's Robert Kiyosaki's book. And it's sort of, I think like a follow-up to Rich Dad, Poor Dad. But I think it's so much more tangible and applicable. Like Rich Dad, Poor Dad is good if you're looking for a story, you know, with characters and all of that stuff. And then Cash Flow Quadrant is a, is a lot more tangible. And it talks about the four, Different categories you can use your money in, and so what really is an asset? What is an investment?
3: No, I guess yeah. The, and sorry for for stealing your famous four thunder there, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was it was kind of like how money flows in, you know, and and whether like in those four quadrants, it's either you're employed or self-employed, which where um, and then then the other ones are investing in business, and and it just like like Debbie said, it gives you the real tactics and just helped to really blow my mind one on kind of the the whole like what the rich do is they don't pay a boatload of taxes they do through legal methods you know find ways to try to minimize their tax burden and all that kind of stuff and so it was, it was just real eye opening to me to to hear it that way you know as as far as how this money flows into the business and the business can pay for expenses rather than flowing into chris's w2 income getting taxed then i get to pay you know that with after tax money you know after i've already been taxed you know on it
1: and the story that really still rings true for me now which is why i taught claire how to start working on bookkeeping and filing for me a little bit but is the man who carries the buckets and so there's a man who needs a job and i'm sure i'm butchering this but he goes <laughs> out and gets this job carrying buckets of water and he takes the bucket of water from one place to the other And it's hard work and it's all day, you know, and he makes a little paycheck at the end of the day. But then there's the guy who needed to solve the problem in the first place, who had water in one place and needed to get it to the other place. And instead of carrying the buckets of water himself, He found someone that wanted to do that job and needed to do that job. And that man is carrying the buckets of water for him. And so it was just like, man, I've been carrying buckets of water for people, you know, for over 14. I mean, I've been getting a W-2 income since I was 16 years old, you know, working hard for other people. And now we're kind of just, we're figuring out how to move that water for ourselves.
4: Wow.
0: I think it's great.
2: (laughs) That's, that's fantastic. So, well, the famous four questions are the same four questions that we ask everybody every single week. And what is your favorite finance book is the first question, which you have already answered. Mm -hmm. I am assuming Cashflow Quadrant is your favorite finance book. So that was a really, really, really great illustration of The Man Carrying the Buckets, which I'm assuming comes out of the book.
1: It does. Okay. Um, And I think, Chris, you have a, a different book than me, probably, but that one was mine.
3: Yeah. Millionaire next door was the one, you know, I I read it early on when I wasn't, I wasn't making a whole lot of money, but it was just like, again, kind of giving that, that story of like, look, you don't have to, you know, this is not some, elite secret and this elite club of people that are the millionaires. You know, it's just the person next door to you that drives the 10 year old, 15 year old car. You know, they don't keep up with the Joneses and all that kind of stuff. And it's been so long since I've read it, but it was really that first book that helped me to get out of the whole mindset of like, I have to just hoard and accumulate and save, save, save. And then, you know, eventually someday I'll, I'll get to spend it, you know, when I'm 69 or 67 or something.
0: I love the millionaire next door and that's one of my favorite books as well. And it's just a, if you're not interested in finance, I've heard that some people can find it a little dry and boring because it's very data driven uh, and kind of like, Hey, here's a millionaire. He's worked hard for a very long period of time, been consistent at what he does self-employed in a kind of boring, you know, like talk about the guy who owns a trash company, a janitorial business, like those kinds of things and have just accumulated a large amount of wealth by, behaving responsibly over a long period of time and <laughs> the data to back it up. I love that because yeah. that's what that's what this is. It's no, there's no secrets or or big, you know, ahas in this in this whole thing. And then kind of to add on to the cash flow quadrant book on uh in the rich dad series, there is actually a board game called Cashflow by that that's kind of a, an interesting experience that you can play. There's like two little Circles that you're on, and the one is the rat race, and the other is the fast track. And your goal is to get out of the the rat race, and it's like you know, I have a kid, which slows you down. And then it's like, uh, like buy a doodad, like a jet ski, and you're like, oh, oh yeah.
1: You know,
0: and, and once you get on the fast track, it's like meet the mayor, <laughs> you know, go save 400 people in Africa. You know, you start with a charity, you start, it's, and it's like you know, all these different things that happen as your passive income kind of exceeds your liabilities. It's a good way to kind of learn and maybe teach kids as well. Some of these concepts. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. So let's move on to the second question in the famous four, which is what was your biggest money mistake?
3: Yeah, I would say, I mean, it's, it's similar to this, this story, but just kind of that having that mindset of, I just need to accumulate this big pile and never feeling comfortable or safe enough to do that, you know, so it's like, man, we could have, cause we had, you know, maybe we didn't have 90,000 at the beginning of the housing crisis, but we had a decent chunk of change. And even though I was getting 2% deals in, you know, 2015, I probably could have been getting, you know, three and 4% deals in 2009 or 10. So taking that long to, to take action and feel comfortable doing that is, is definitely my biggest money mistake.
1: Mine, I guess is the opposite. Like a my mindset with money was of powerlessness. So it caused me to be in debt before we got married. And it made me feel like I, my worth was lower. You know, I could only achieve a certain amount of money that was as high as I was going to aim. And I certainly was never focused on financial independence or freedom until being able to overcome that sense of powerless with money. Whereas now it's like, I know the money's out there. It's out there for anyone who who wants to find it and work for it. And if that's what they want and I just have to
2: go out and find it. So
3: that's a great answer.
2: (laughs) What is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out?
3: Yeah. So this has probably been said before, but mine is definitely tracking, you know, just start, just start paying attention to where your money is, and if that's in alignment with your priorities, then you're probably doing things right and you're living a happy life. If those things aren't in alignment and all that and you feel like there's something that you want to change in your life, there's some big goal that, that's out there. It's not hard. Just start, you know, just be diligent about it and start tracking and uh, you'll be amazed at what you find and you prioritize those things that are, are really important to you.
1: I completely agree with Chris, but you might notice a pattern with me. Mine is just mindset, like something that maybe I haven't touched on with it is when we've started real estate, We wanted to talk to local investors and get ideas and any advice they might have. And we kept hearing the same thing from them that like, oh, it's hard. Tenants tear everything up around here, but we're sticking it out or I can't find anyone to buy my rental house, so I'm still doing it basically. And so we had to decide from the get go what we needed to do as far as wrapping our minds around it so that it could be a long-term solution for us in the search for financial freedom. So we had to really work on our mindset with, like I've said, you know, you find what you're looking for, the homes we fix up just so like we would want to live in them. We treat people the way that we would want to be treated. And we never think of the homes as like our home. So we don't take it personal. If there's a problem there, that just happens. We're prepared for it. We know we're going to have some problems along the way. So we really worked on that mindset from the beginning. And, you know, even if people aren't going the real estate route, it's like, what's your goal? Why are you wanting to get there? And what kind of work do you need to do so that when things get hard, you can remind yourself of that and prepare yourself for that. So.
0: Excellent.
3: Perfect. Thank you.
0: What is your favorite joke to tell at parties? It's uh, the hardest question of the four. It
3: is. It was. It was one of those where this part of it gave me the biggest pause of, <laughs> of all in pre- preparing for this. I was like. Oh, Scott. And I was like, maybe Scott won't be asking this question by the time we got there. But I was like, no, I think he's going to stick
1: with this. <laughs> no, so. it's sticking around. <laughs> it's I here. mean, it's
2: sticking around. It's
0: my favorite part. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> no. You want me to go first? Chris has a tough one. He, he's trying to like delay in stretch install. himself. So I'll yeah. do mine first. It's quick. We have a couple of bar jokes. So mine is a dyslexic man walks into a bra. <laughs> <laughs> <That's>
3: a- <laughs> All right. So, so the one I found that I thought was actually pretty decent was a pirate walks into the bar and he's got a, he's got a peg leg. He's got a parrot. He's got a a hook for an arm and he's got a steering wheel hanging from his belt. And the bartender looks over at him and he says, what's with the steering wheel? And he goes, she's driving me nuts. So that
0: may be my favorite pirate joke.
2: <laughs> You've God heard collect- a lot of pirate jokes, huh? Scott yeah. collects them. Oh, oh no. So not.
0: I once got into a pirate jokes battle with a real pirate at Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville when you're on vacation. <laughs> wow. so.
1: You picked the right joke,
2: Chris. Yeah. Who knew that was even yeah, a thing? Yeah. Huh?
3: I, I did not, but yeah.
2: <laughs> I knew that was a thing because Scott tells pirate jokes all the time. Oh, that's good. It's, it's not just for the show; it's for every oh, day.
3: What the pirate? I was just going to say there's a guy at my office that, yeah, he he loves the dad jokes and puns, and and I can imagine what it's like at Bigger Pockets. Uh, around Same. The
2: there's place, a guy at my office; he likes them too. <laughs> Two guys. <laughs>
3: Pirate
0: walks up to a to the golf course and he says, I mate. Oh, there
3: you go. oh. Moore, no, not.
1: Very good. Why don't you guys you Chris can't get into a battle with you because he only knows the yeah, one yeah. pirate
3: show? I'm so. gonna have to pause and I'm gonna have to go some more real quick. Yeah. I'll retire as champion.
2: No, that's okay. You yes. won. You Scott. won. You could be are you the champion. Congratulations. You win.
0: <laughs> Chris and W, where can people find out more about you?
2: So I,
1: we aren't super social media type of people like we shy away, but I have a blog that talks about all the ways we're finding freedom because of my illness. And it's called imperfectprogress.me. And so I'm also on Instagram at the same thing, imperfectprogress.me. And if you go on to that, you can find our, our Facebook link and our, Instagram link. Chris is on Facebook, but he might get on there like once a month or something. So, but we'd love to connect with people. You know, we, we like that we found freedom this way and
2: we would love to help people find the same thing. So. Absolutely. We will include those links in our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash money show 25. Awesome. Well, Chris and Debbie, thank you so much for reaching out and thank you so much for taking the time out of your uh, very busy days to Uh talk to us. We really enjoyed having you today. Thank you. It was great.
3: Thank you so much, Mindy, Scott. Have a great day. Thank you guys very much. This was great. Yeah.
1: Thank you. We've enjoyed it. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye.
0: Bye. All right. That was Chris and Debbie. Thanks so much then for coming on the show. Mindy, I thought that episode was a big, almost kind of departure from what we've been hearing from a lot of other folks. This was really a family that, had not been pursuing finances aggressively, had really been ultra conservative in kind of saving up a large amount of cash and then had a mindset shift, a trigger event in that uh, diagnosis for Debbie that kind of caused them to aggressively pursue financial independence. And boy, have they produced some results in that time period.
2: Yeah, that 16 units in, did they say two and a half years? they yeah. that's just, that's amazing. They've replaced, they've doubled Debbie's income just by investing in real estate. And now she's able to stay home with her kids. She homeschools her kids. She's learned how to be a really great cook. And they've gone from this busy, overwhelming lifestyle to a very relaxed, as busy as we want to be lifestyle. And you know, they, they said the word intentional a lot. They live an intentional life. They do what they want to do on purpose. Life isn't dragging them around. They're going for what they want.
0: And what I thought was kind of refreshing about how they discussed this concept is they didn't use a lot of terminology that we like to throw around, like FI or fire or 4% rule or anything like that, nothing fancy. Their approach was nothing if not incredibly simple. You find what you're looking for. We're going to invest $60,000 and we're going to buy a property that produces a lot of cash flow that's local in a in a rural town and we're going to put some sweat equity into it scrub the carpet myself and maintain it and go from there and then we're going to repeat the process after with the savings from that property and our current job and go one by one by one over the course of several years like there's no fanciness here there's no mathematical I mean he's Chris is obviously a very a good spreadsheet wizard but the concept of this is so simple and so effective
2: Yes, this is absolutely achievable for anyone who's looking for it. Like I Debbie hate. said, you find what you look for. So if this is what you want, start looking for it. Absolutely. All right. Scott, shall we get out of here? We shall. For the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, episode 25, this is Mindy Jensen over and out.